scripture reading today, I just want to remind you that um, most of you have been here uh, or been for part of it. Uh, I am preaching on thoughts and ideas and texts represented in this book called Life Together in Christ, Experiencing Transformation in Community by Ruth Haley Barton. This week, I'm talking about chapter 6, so sorry if you've been following along. I skipped chapter 5, and we'll also skip chapter 9, just to make it work before Lent starts, because I didn't want to overlap with Lent. So we'll be talking about chapter 6 today, and then we'll do chapter 7 and 8, and then we'll be done, because we'll be into the Lenten season. So more on that later. Today's text is one we've been reading many times or for many weeks now. If anybody can recite it, if you can just recant it, then you can come up here and do that if you want. I'd be impressed. But if not, hear these words. This is the word of the Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along the way? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. This, friends, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So at the beginning of the week, I was uh, watching TV with the girls, something they always want to (laughs) do, and I thought it was a great compromise to watch something educational. uh, Rich just kind of randomly, Peyton said she wanted to learn about volcanoes. I said, awesome, that sounds really great. So we found a a show on volcanoes and started digging into the episodes, and it was the most amazing story that we discovered together. There was an island of Papua New Guinea. A volcanic island, right? So that the volcano is almost continually erupting. And they show that most of the island around it is like experiencing death. All the trees and the, the vegetation, all the wildlife either die or have to flee from that area because it's so toxic. 
the sulfuric acid and then the ash that coats because it's continually erupting, right? And you get like inches and feet of ash that just continue to pile up on the wildlife and the vegetation. And of course, eventually, it chokes everything out. Nothing can live. Except there's one brave creature that, Zach, I didn't tell you about this. (laughs) If you can click the slide. I told Zach a lot before service, but not about some of these things. There's one brave creature that actually heads into the destruction of the volcano. This is called a megapode. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to show this in this way to you like this, but I wanted to show you this creature. It's not the prettiest creature. (laughs) It's not the most amazing creature you've ever seen. It maybe looks kind of like a chicken or whatever, but it's incredibly brave. You see, the megapode, when they hear the eruption going and when they see the ash, they actually head towards the volcano. They head towards it, and then they go and they scurry along the, the shore of the beach or wherever they might find a good spot, and they actually lay their eggs deep within the ash. Like they have to find the right sweet spot to lay their eggs. And they just lay them in there. They risk their own life to take advantage of the specific conditions of the warm ash so that their eggs can be nurtured and actually then grow into a new bird or a new chicken or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Isn't it amazing? They actually have the courage to move towards the difficulty because of the potential of new life that they can find within it. And you may not have toxicity in your life or this uh, ash cloud that's really just raining down on you and piling on, choking life out of you. But I'm guessing you have some kind of discomfort, some kind of a burden, something that is weighing heavy on your heart that maybe you either try to fix and you realize you can't fix it or you avoid. That tends to be the way that we deal with our burdens most of the time is we either avoid them or we obsessively try to fix them and, and correct them and understand them. So there are so many different, different ways that I could talk to you about the burdens that we feel or the, the uh, things that smother us in life, but you'd get sick of the list, Okay. <laughs> So I want, to ask, I want to ask you this question, and maybe this will help you to understand what that ash is representative of in your life, the discomfort. Earlier in the service, I read to you what Jesus says about uh, coming to him and giving him your burdens. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, so if Jesus was here and he says, Sandy, come to me. Give me your burden. What would you give him? What would you give him, Larry? Noah, what would you give him? Come to me. I'll I'll give you the, the rest that your soul wants. What would you give him, Dean? You want some rest, yeah. See, it's easy to think about our problems, but when we, when we ask the question, what will we actually give to Jesus, we start to get to the deep things that actually choke out kind of the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us. See, the root of the disciples' problem on the road to Emmaus was Jesus' death. It didn't fit into their image of who Jesus was and what it was going to mean to follow them. You know, it was pretty easy to follow Jesus when they were 
on the forefront of this amazing insight and wisdom that Jesus was giving them. Like, wow, these, listen to all these things he's teaching. It's amazing. It's changing our life. And we feel like we're part of something new and exciting. That part was easy to follow Jesus. Or how about when Jesus was performing all these miracles and they were seeing people's lives change right in front of them? That part was easy. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus when it comes to the wisdom that He had and the, the power that He had to change people's lives in the worst of their circumstances? But it wasn't so easy to follow Jesus when He had to go and die. When He was humiliated. When He was tortured. And then, of course, death. That didn't fit in with their image of what it meant to follow Jesus. And really what Jesus modeled was surrender. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is on His knees in excruciating pain, emotional and spiritual pain, saying, Father, if this is Your will, then I'll do it, but please would You take this from me? That's not really the image of following Jesus that any of us really, if we're honest, wants to be a part of. I don't know, personally, I like the idea of just learning the things that Help me to be a good person and grow and accomplish my goals and be successful, be a good dad. I don't really like to associate with this image of Jesus in excruciating pain, emotional and spiritual and then physical pain. But what Jesus models to us is surrender, of letting go of the outcome of our life in whatever way we need to do to lay down our burdens, the burden of the outcome. And what we see is that surrender is a willingness to accept and move towards those things that we would rather resist. That we would rather say, someone else can do that, or I don't really have to do that, and justify all the reasons we don't have to move towards those things. But what I'd submit to you today is that following Jesus doesn't become real for us until we're willing to surrender like He did. Until we're willing to say, Lord, I can't imagine what this is going to be like, but I'm going to trust you and move into it. That's surrender. And if we follow Jesus in all the other ways that we like, like learning from Him, and, you know, and, and if we're honest, we don't really do all those things very well either. <laughs> but we can say, well, we, we like all these other ways, but we're not going to do this surrender piece, which is what actually opens up new potential in our life. No thanks, God. That's pretty scary. If we leave that part out, then we're not actually getting the full effect of following Jesus. How could we? This is the climax of His life, of His time on earth. And if we say that's too uncomfortable for me, well then we're missing perhaps the whole point of what it means to follow Jesus. This is surrender. That's what uh, Ruth Haley Barton, I'll just read it in, in her words, she says this is the entire point of our faith. The entirety of it. She says on page 107, the goal of the Christian journey is surrender. The ability to trust God with our whole selves in our very lives rather than relying on our attempts to achieve safety and security, affection and approval, power and control for ourselves on our terms. It is an increasing capacity to be given over to the love and the will of God 
in radical trust, just as Jesus was. Beyond potlucks and pastoral care, which I love potlucks, by the way, (laughs) but beyond potlucks and pastoral care, this is the real journey that spiritual companions embark on together. And it can be a harrowing one. I don't know what harrowing means, by the way. (laughs) Think hard, right? Is that right, Deb? Hard? Huh? Frightening. Yes, right? So we need each other, right? We need to support each other because it's frightening. It's terrifying. But if we leave this part out, then we miss the whole point. So why is it so important? Why does she believe it's so important? Why would I say that I too agree it's so important? Surrender. Because we are all limited to our vision. We're limited in our vision and the choices that we think are possible in in communication with what we're most afraid of. So we can't step into a new life in Christ if we're afraid of, of the thing that maybe is in front of it. To surrender is to accept the things that we would rather, rather resist and to move towards them and to then see what God would do in that space, in the vulnerable space of us not knowing, of feeling like this is really uncomfortable. It's not something I would normally do. But it's only in that vulnerable space that we can experience what God would do through His power. Or what wisdom God might give us when we say, I don't know what to do. But how can we ever experience that revelation of God showing us the way if we're continually doing it in the way that we think is best? You see, those two lifestyles aren't compatible. Surrender is the key. I like this way of of thinking about uh, surrender and its importance because I heard it said recently that um, discomfort of any kind, so going back to a burden, discomfort of any kind or a burden plus resistance to that burden or discomfort is what generates suffering. It's resisting to it. It's resisting it. So I'll give you a personal example. (laughs) I oftentimes experience suffering on Saturdays because of the sermon on Sunday. (laughs) You know, just like, oh no, how's it going to go? You know, am I going to say the right thing? And I really want it, I really try. So it's kind of a a delicate uh, line to walk there. But I've learned eventually, well, some weeks, to say, Lord, I surrender that to you. I trust that you'll be there with me on Sunday morning. And it may not come out just right. Oftentimes, almost never it comes out the way I hope it does. But that God will be here and give me courage to say the right thing or hopefully that it'll touch your heart in some way. That's a moment of surrender of saying, God, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to wrestle with this because there's actually nothing I can do to change it. I have to go there on Sunday. I don't know what that is for you. It would be something totally different. But what we discover is that when we surrender, we let go of all the outcomes and the results that really we don't have control over anyways. All the outcomes and and results of our faith. And we let God carry the weight of that. Surrender is more than knowing the right things. That lets us off easy. That's like the disciples. Remember, they thought, oh, it's nice. It's really fun learning from Jesus. He's such a great teacher. He's so powerful. Look at all of his power. 
when we think that surrender is just about knowing the right things, well, then we can just bury our face in a book rather than face the thing that's most uncomfortable for us. The thing that maybe that we're resisting and is creating suffering within our heart. Surrender is more than knowing the right things. The disciples show us that we can easily misunderstand what Jesus has to say to us. Jesus told them while, he was, while they were following Him three different times that He was going to have to suffer and die. And they had also heard that in the Old Testament, that this was what the Messiah was going to have to do. But they could not accept it. They couldn't accept it. All of that learning couldn't generate surrender within their heart. I'll give you a more personal example of this. So I went on my uh, silent retreat, something I feel is important for me being a pastor. I went on a silent retreat six weeks or so ago, first week in January. And while I was on the retreat, I'm looking at some of my old, um, looking at some of my old journal entries back from when I was first becoming a Christian. Okay, so I didn't really know that much, and I'm just experiencing transformation within small group. And I'm looking back at some of those journal entries and I was amazed by how willing I was to trust God at that time. Saying, I'd actually write out, God, I trust You. Just show me what You want in my life. Help me to see what You want me to do. Take away my fear. It's it's stuff like that. And I was so inspired by saying, wow, look at how willing I was to surrender when I was a brand new Christian. This is brand new. And that moment of inspiration was immediately met with the moment of conviction. You know why? Because for six years, I've been learning all the right things about faith. Six years. Burying my face in a book. Learning this is what this means. This is what that means. Look at the Scriptures. Learning all the right things to teach and to live by. And I also realized that despite all of that knowledge my willingness to surrender had actually plummeted. Had gone down way, way far to say, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to face this uncomfortable situation, but I'm going to step into it and to trust that You will be there and that You will bring new life from within it. You see, friends, surrender is not about what we know. It's about how willing we are to trust. How much courage we have. And it doesn't matter how many sermons you've listened to or how many committees you've served on or how many potlucks you've been to. It doesn't matter. All you have to hear is the Gospel one time that Jesus died for you and is present to you in your life and wants to show you how to live, become like Him. You just have to hear that once then you can surrender. You can say, God, give me the courage to face the difficulties in my life in the way that You would. It sounds better when we say, I, but I need to learn more. <laughs> I need to go to small, more small groups. What we discover is that within our willingness to surrender, we experience some kind of death. Some kind of a change. Death is like a loss. Like, not a physical death necessarily, but the earliest disciples after this Emmaus Road encounter were willing to face death. Because they took Jesus at His word that uh, when we 
lose our life, we actually gain it eternally. But we just have to be willing to suffer a, a, an emotional death, a spiritual death, a changing of who we, who we think we are, what's important to us. And our willingness to face what we're most afraid of tests the limits of our faith. Do we really believe Jesus? Do we believe Him? When He says, uh, I will be with you always until the end of age. Do we believe Jesus when He says those who lose their life for my sake will find it for eternity? You see, we can't answer that question really, do we believe Him at His Word or do we believe that He will give us rest for our souls? We can't actually discover the depth of our trust until we enter into that difficult space, that vulnerable space. 2021 was a, a really a hard year for me. You probably saw it, right? That's, a, <laughs> that's the hardest part about being a pastor is that when, when you all struggle in your life, you get to go hide at home. You get to pretend when you're here if you want to. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying if you want to. But when you lead people spiritually and emotionally, it's pretty hard to hide when you're struggling. But what I realized when I was on that retreat this is coming to a head that I can't, I can't carry this burden anymore, Lord. I can't try and uh, understand the outcomes. Like if I do these things, this will happen. Because every time I tried to envision the outcome, it seemed hopeless. <laughs> I can't get all these people to you know, rediscover a, a new love for Jesus. I can't do that. So it was an invitation for me to surrender. To lay down those burdens. And you know what happens when we lay down our burdens? We get to know Jesus in a new way. And we realize that Jesus has been there the whole time. That Jesus is willing to breathe new life into the ash of our circumstances. No matter how we feel about it. No matter how bleak it may be. It's easy for us to say, well, all the problems are happening on the outside of us with some other person in a relationship or some other thing in the world or our community. But to, to surrender is to say, Lord, show me the ways that I can change so that I can experience Your goodness and Your promises right here and right now. And when we're willing to surrender in that way, we will experience Christ in a new way. I found it interesting uh, going back to those megapodes. Can we put that back on there again, Zach? You're stepping up to the big moment today, Zach, by the way. <laughs> really excellent. <laughs> so I found it interesting that, um, you know, they don't stay with the eggs. They go and they, so they, they face the danger. They go and they see this is the opportunity for new life. This is the chance for me to lay the egg. They lay the egg and they, they maybe hang around a little bit, but they don't try and guard it. They don't try to protect it. They don't try and, in other words, control the outcome of what's going to happen. Even sometimes, uh, they might have to take off. They know, if okay, if the volcano starts erupting again, they, they split out of there. Sometimes they have to just lay their egg right on the top of the surface and there's not, nothing they can do about it. And I was watching an actual an iguana came and started eating the egg. 
And some other animals would say, well, I'm going to go and try and scare that iguana away, but not the megapode. He's willing to surrender the outcome of the new life that's represented in the egg. That's not the megapode's job is to say, I'm going to just tweak it just right and make sure that this happens. Just have the courage to face the difficulty, to do what's within your grasp, and surrender the outcome. Surrender the potential for new life. We all face many different difficulties. The smoke of the volcano, the smothering ash, it all takes different forms. But in surrendering to Christ and facing our fears, we find the egg of new life within our circumstances, not separate from them. Within these areas that we fear most or that feel hardest for us, And when we surrender, we discover the outer reaches of Christ's power working within our lives as we commit ourselves as fully as possible and surrender the outcome to the resurrection power of Jesus. So one of the the prayers that's been really powerful for me personally, it's um, actually the serenity prayer. And many of you have heard the serenity prayer, but you may not have heard the full serenity prayer by a theologian named um, Reinhold Niebuhr. hope I got his name right. And this is where the, the actual serenity, you know, the serenity prayer that most people know came from. And I thought it would be fitting to uh, read this together today as a, a prayer that we can read. It's just see if you can notice some of the things that stand out of what we've been talking about. Let's pray. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to His will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. Amen.